you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. NFL Total Access is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. Oh, it's Thursday, December 14th, and you are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. That is the voice, the very cheerful, almost holiday-esque ho-ho-ho. He kind of snuck in there. Voice of today's special guest, one Mm -hmm. of two NFL media reporters who have agreed to open up their reporters' notebooks for us here on the pod. Uh, Jane Slater, embedded with the Cowboys, will join us here in a little bit. But let us put our hands together and welcome back to the pod the great JP, James Palmer, who is going to talk to us a little bit today about the Chiefs and, oh, I don't know, maybe some other teams too. JP, thank you so much for making time for us today. Today, bud. Oh, no problem. And I also thought we were about to get into some crystal Christmas Carol mode. I felt like I felt Listen, like that's uh, we if were you headed. start, uh, you know, I, I take an deep. improv. I won't block. You know, if you start, I'll try oh, to join if yeah. I can carry a tune. No, and, I don't know and about recognize it. things like that. Yeah. <laughs> sure uh, JP, we, the question. <laughs> The question I'm going to ask Jane is, I think, a fair one, and I think I'm going to ask you the same question for different reasons. The question I'm going to ask her is about the Cowboys, because for the first time in a long time, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I kind of believe in the silver and blue. We talk so much about that team. I want to know from her, what is the talk within that team? Such is her access to that team. Well, the same can be said of you with regards to the rather fascinating this year, bewildering at times, um, and always dangerous Kansas City Chiefs, the defending champions who now sit, uh, what are they, eight and five um, on a run of form, having lost, what, four games in the last six? Surprising form for the defending champs, surprising form for an Andy Reid-led, Patrick Mahomes-led, have 87 on the team, team, and yet um, that's where they are. So they're another one of those teams, James, that we talk so much about, and we have criticized and we've judged and we've wondered well thank you for being here because let's stop talking about this team and hear from you James Palmer what is the talk within this team I should think they're not as panicked as we are yeah that might be the problem in all honesty (laughs) interesting because talking to people in the building it is They, they go and win the Super Bowl a season ago and what were we talking about all of last season Andrew it was how are they going to win a Super Bowl without Without Tyreek yep how are they going to do that And that is really, if you talk to people in the building, it was that was a big motivating factor for their season. And then they went out and did what? They did exactly that. They they won a Super Bowl without him. And I don't want to say that they've been somewhat coasting through these struggles or not really panicked, as you mentioned, but they are looking for that kind of carrot this year when I talk to people in the building to drive them this season. Because that's what drove them a season ago, and they accomplished it. And now they're kind of looking for what to drive them and have that sense of urgency. And you're right. They always do fix it. That's why we're not panicking, I don't think, uh, at an extreme level. When you look at a team this good and the way that they're playing right now, as you mentioned, losing four of the last six. But the urgency didn't really come, to my understanding, until this past week of practice. Interesting. Um, That's where it finally started to pick up heading into that game against the Bills. And that's where you saw a different Patrick Mahomes, I was told, from the rest of the season. Um, and that's where the urgency finally arose. And what happened? They they still lost. Yeah. And it's still the same exact issues. And I do think, even going into Week 15, these are somewhat correctable. First off, they really don't play anybody down the stretch. No, Secondly, and, and I'll, inter- issues- I'll interrupt you there, JP, just yeah. to remind our audience, uh, to give a little texture to what you've just said, because you're absolutely right. Their remaining four games, the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending champions, they are playing in Foxborough against the Patriots, then back home to face the Raiders and the Bengals, and then away uh, uh, a road game across the street at SoFi against the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, quarterbacked by fill-in-the-blank. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Those are four games they have every reason to expect to win. However, 
you know, form begets form. Teams learn how to win. Uh, the Chiefs did last season, as they have done in previous seasons, at the perfect time. But teams learn how to lose, too. So in spite of their renewed sense of urgency, as you felt heading into the Buffalo Bills game, like you said, they still take another loss, their fourth loss in six games. What do they need to see from each other? What are they asking from each other in order to right the ship and win four games that they should win? Well, to get back on the right track, there's there's one concern in the building, to my understanding, that they need to make sure it doesn't happen, and, and that's that they don't want to get into, you know, what, what, what's the movie line? You know, don't take a trip to negative town on me. Like, like don't go negative <laughs> right. is the big thing because right. that's when teams play tight. That's when you're fearful of making mistakes. And that's when you don't play loose. And they've seen that happen to them at times. And they want to make sure that doesn't happen down the stretch. And that's kind of evaded. What they need to do is obviously fix the penalties. They lead the NFL in offensive holding. I don't know if people know that. They also are 20. I didn't know that. In turnover differential. They're 28th in turnover differential, minus seven. I mean, this is a very good defense, but they don't turn the football over at all. And on offense, man, are they turning it over. And then the red zone has been completely different than it was a year ago. They're arguably the best red zone team in football a season ago. They're about middle of the pack now. Those are three things they want to correct. What I would look for is them leaning on their run game more moving forward, okay. especially with the issues they have at receiver. With as good as uh, Isaiah Pacheco has been, heading into that Bills game, he was fourth in the NFL in rushing. Now, he did miss that game with a shoulder injury. They're Can I get an update? I've got him on my fantasy team. I need him. It's week okay, one of the I'll fantasy the playoffs. What's the update on Pacheco? I'll give you the update. He did not practice on Wednesday. Damn it. The thought process is that they're going to continue to monitor him throughout the week because they really don't know probably in these next couple of days if he's going to play or not. Okay, and that's enough. huge for them because if you look at where he's at, he has 176 carries on the season. Do you know who's second on the on the Chiefs in carries? Uh, no, I could look it up, but that'd be cheating. Who is it? Is it Patrick Mahomes? Yeah, Patrick Mahomes with 58. That's wow. how much they rely on Isaiah Pacheco. Now, what I would look for is an increased usage in Jarek McKinnon moving forward. Okay. I've been told by people in the building they have slow played his usage throughout the season on purpose. This is a guy in his 30s that has had knee issues that is not the biggest of backs, but we've seen him in the postseason and down the stretch make massive impacts Without in this a doubt. offense. He's called Jet game, McKinnon for a reason. Does, the kid is exactly. Capable. What he does in the, uh, in the screen game and in, in understanding the, 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 really the way this entire offense works, I would really say that that's an added aspect of this offense to keep an eye on. But again, I'm talking about running backs here. And how wild is that with a team led by Patrick Mahomes? No, it, it is wild. But we always anticipated a an adjustment. It's adapt or die, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is natural selection. This is the theory of evolution. You adapt or you die. And this team is struggling. They require some adaptation. They are also aging. And they're bruised and, and battered like so many players on so many teams around the NFL. Adaptation, according to James Palmer, means potentially, probably, and maybe necessarily, lean on the run game. The update on Isaiah Pacheco, number 10, the passion back, as Michael Robinson calls him, did not practice. He may be a game-time decision. So James Palmer says, look out for number one out there, Jet McKinnon, Jarek McKinnon, who may have an increased number of looks, targets, and touches uh, this week and heading into the final four weeks of the season. Okay, thank you for that. Now, JP, the big question of last season, as you've already reminded us, can we win without Tyreek Hill? And the answer was yes. The big question this season involves the same position unit, involves the same group, the wide receivers. The knock on the Chiefs has been, perhaps unfairly, but perhaps accurately, that they simply don't have a number one, that the wide receivers are underperforming and overdropping. Is that something you can fix four weeks to go? You got to get it right now. How do you address that, JP? And I assume that is a focus of intention on this uh, this staff. It is, and, and it's partly coaching, obviously. It's partly what I mentioned in terms of you don't want guys to play tight. And I think that's one of the biggest things we've seen with Kadarius Toney. You know, Travis Kelsey has come out and supported him. There's no denying when the ball's in his hands, he's an electric player. It's just getting it to his hands, I guess, is the problem. But I, I do want to make this clear. Like, let's look at the drops in the NFL. The Chiefs are number one. And we've seen them at the end of each one of their five losses. A receiver has some sort of mistake uh, that you could equate to being a major reason why they lose that game. Um, but they have 34 drops on the year. The Browns have 32, the Lions have 31, the Cowboys have 30. It's not like they're the only team dropping the ball. It's not like they're running away 
from the rest of the NFL in terms of drops. It's not like there's the Chiefs and then there's a mountain in between and then the rest of the league. Other guys are dropping the football. I think what we are seeing is this is with the face of the NFL, with one of the most creative minds in the NFL, and you're seeing the drops happen in inopportune times. And yeah. that's why I mentioned the red zone is a major issue. So when their drops are happening is a big part of their issues. Um, I think you do have to go back to the guys. I will say this to finish out the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes, from the people I've talked to in the building, has been beyond diplomatic about this. He has had remarkable patience with the receiver group, and he's actually been applauded by the coaching staff multiple times on how he's handled this. I think part of the outburst we saw was a microcosm of his frustration yeah. uh, that has happened with this receiver group and the way this offense has worked. When you're Patrick Mahomes and you have six straight games under 300 passing yards, um, that's just something I don't know if we ever thought we were going to say. Uh, and we're saying it right now. You know, the drop, the drop, we all remember that MVS drop off after that remarkable throw from Patrick Mahomes that would have taken. I'm not going to uh, lie. That wasn't a layup of a catch. No, I mean. it, no, no. And, like, and, and you're, you're absolutely right to point that out, James, because no, it wasn't. Uh, he was at full stretch and he was going to the ground. So this is not somebody who was hit in stride uh, by an easy ball to catch. No, it wasn't. It was a remarkable throw. It would have required a remarkable catch, mm -hmm. but one in retrospect that you think, okay, had he made that catch and had they made a two-point conversion, tied that game, who knows what could have happened if that becomes a W, if they found a way to win uh, against the Bills, and yet, well, they found a way to lose to uh, a way to lose too, because as remarkable as that play was, as heads up as Travis Kelsey was, it didn't count. Why? Well, because Kadarius Tony was offside. Uh, he was blocking the ball. This wasn't yeah. even close, and I don't fault the refs for making the call. I'm bummed that they did. I don't like great plays taken yeah. off the board. Jay, uh, James Palmer, awesome. you don't either, and certainly Patrick Mahomes didn't. And yet, if we're being honest, uh, the guy was a foul of the law. So uh, whistle blown, uh, play called back, uh, tough shit for all of us. Okay, so a Chiefs team is not that worried. And James Palmer, listener, I hope you heard at the very beginning of this, his first answer to the question, what the hell's going on in KC? Uh, is there a sense of urgency? Was, well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe they haven't had enough of a sense of urgency. But James Palmer, in his travels around the NFL map, specifically tapped into the Kansas City Chiefs, saw an increased sense of urgency from this team leading up to the Buffalo Bills game. Do not expect Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes to take their foot off the gas. It is now intensity, urgency, uh, intention, get to the finish line, peak at the right time. They've held back Jet McKinnon. James Palmer told us maybe he could peak at the right time. If Pacheco gets healthy, expect Patrick Mahomes to do un-Patrick Mahomes things, which is to do less and rely on a running game. So says James Palmer. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. The reporter's notebook is open. James Palmer has been nice enough to open his reporter's notebook. And we will turn now from the defending Super Bowl champions to the defeated Super Bowl combatant Philadelphia Eagles. Because James, a team you know well, uh, the same question could be asked of Philly. Yes, they're still in very good position in the NFC playoff picture, of course. However, what the hell's going on in Philly is a fair question. Do you have a simple answer? It's not simple because there's issues on both sides of the ball. Like with the Chiefs, we're all talking about just one side of the ball. That's still one of the better defenses in all of football. Um, they've had a great game plan for Josh Allen. Um, Philly has issues on both sides. And we can start offensively. And I know Brian Johnson, the new offensive coordinator, is really taking the brunt of the blame. He didn't fumble uh, twice by either star receiver. Um, and that's just part of they're turning the football over way too much. They already have as many turnovers as they did all of last season. Um, that's been a big part of this offense. And when the turnovers are happening, I mean, I think they have like 14 turnovers in the red zone. Like, yeah, it's a shock in opposing statistic. territory like yeah. that. That's a huge issue. You fix that and you already are fixing the offense and, and people are 
really, you know, I think inappropriately ripping this offense apart. They're almost identical to the where they were last year in terms of points per game and things like that. Um, they're pretty close. You fix some of those, and, and they're right there. I think the explosive plays have been lacking a little bit. Um, obviously, Jalen battling an injury has been a bit of an issue as well. Um, but what happened on that side of the ball a little bit, you also lost Dallas Goddard for a huge chunk. And that is not just one of the best tight ends in football in the passing game, but one of the best blocking tight ends in football. He's a big part of their run game. It's a big part of their play action and everything that they want to do in terms of operating things. I don't know why we make this massive issue about Mark Andrews going down in um, Baltimore, in Baltimore yep. and how he'll be out. Yep. And nobody said a word nationally about Dallas Goddard missing four games. And, and so, or I think it was three and him being out because they had the luxury of a bye during part of him tie being out. This is one of, if you ask people around the league, they will tell you he is a top five, maybe top three tight end in terms of complete tight end. Yes. Catching and blocking and playing the position. And so having him back down the stretch obviously does help. They have tons of talent, so I don't, I'm not super panic mode on the offensive side of the ball. If Jalen gets healthy, I don't know, some people are network things. You bench him, you get healthy, you play Marcus Mariota. Disagree with that. Jalen Hurts at about 5% better than Marcus, but you do have to make some improvements on the offensive side of the ball. Okay, the so they've side, got to clean it up on the offensive side of the ball. Sorry to interrupt, but mm -hmm. let's just sort of put a finer, let's put a button on this because I think, JP, you're absolutely right, and I think it's important for us to be reminded that this team isn't much different than they were at this stage last year. James Palmer has reminded us of that. Yes, they're a little bit under in terms of the metrics, but not by much. So to his point, clean up the turnovers. Stop giving the damn ball away, especially in the red zone. You uh, finer attention to detail for this team, a recommitment to that process means that this team has every expectation to, to at least contend for the the hardware that they hope to contend for, which is, yes, an NFC championship, a return trip to the Super Bowl, and, of course, they want to get over the hump and win Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. Okay, so that's the offensive side of the ball. But this team, James Palmer, long defined by balance, and that balance requires a top five, a top ten defense, always had it, don't have it this year. What the hell is going on on the other side of the ball, and can it be addressed, and can it be fixed? This isn't as easy. I really don't think so because they're playing way too many snaps, just way too many snaps. And you got a guy on the outside. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago in Josh Sweat, and he was like, I earned all these snaps, man. I'm pumped playing all these snaps. Well, he's played more snaps already than he did all of last season. Him and Hassan Reddick on the outside are playing a ton of snaps. Um, Brandon Graham can't play a lot of snaps at his age. What made them so dynamic up front was how deep they were in the rotation that they had. That led to 70 sacks. They have 37 this year. I mean, like, it's, it's not like coming out at you and, and they're blowing you away. They have tremendous talent up front. You look at the two youngsters in the middle of the defense are growing by leaps and bounds in Jordan Davis and in Jalen Carter. But they came out of Georgia playing like 25 snaps a game, and they were rotated in and out. You look at the number of snaps they're having to lean on now, and Fletcher Cox is another year older, even though he's still making plays somehow. And they were without Milton Williams for a portion of the time with a concussion. And, and so they're playing a lot of snaps up front. Their corners have gotten older. They don't really have a slot corner. They don't really have linebackers. I'm not sure if Shaq Leonard's actually the full-time answer to that in the middle of the field. Uh, if he was a game-changing type player like we've seen in the past, I doubt he would have been released. Um, but I do think he's an improvement on what they had. But like I said with Kansas City, it's not like they have murderer's row to finish things out. They've just finished most of that stretch. They have the Seahawks, the Giants, the Cardinals, the Giants. They have, even though with Tommy DeVito, even though they have him, that they got to face him <laughs> twice. Yeah. I no, think you're, they should you're be able right. to try to correct some of these things. Okay, so uh, James Palmer sounding off on the defending Super Bowl combatants, the Kansas City Chiefs. Is there work to be done? Yes. Are they doing it? Yeah, damn right they're doing it now uh, harder and more intensely than ever before this season. Philadelphia Eagles, uh, they've got some issues, but it's about fine-tuning the, the approach on offense, and it's about recommitment maybe and getting these guys off the field, getting off the field on third downs on defense. They're playing way too many snaps. We talk about Load management. They're the worst we don't, down team in football. And we don't give the defensive uh, side of the ball uh, any sort of thought when it comes to load management. Man, is their damn load. Get these guys off the field. If they play less, that means the offense is on the field more. That means they're controlling the game script. They're playing from ahead. That is the key to, to Eagles' success. At least it was last year. And they have four games in which to kind of dress rehearse this as they head into the postseason. Thank you, James Palmer.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. The reporter's notebook is open. That reporter, James Palmer. James Palmer, we have talked Chiefs. We have talked Eagles. Let's talk now about a team outside the playoff picture. Widen your gaze. Pick Your answer can come from either the AFC or the NFC. Who is the team outside the current playoff picture that scares you the most? That if you are inside the playoff picture, you want to see the least? It's the Buffalo Bills. It is, yeah, isn't I it? It is, isn't it? It's close. I really don't think it's close. I mean, you could make a case and an argument possibly for the Rams because I do think Matthew Stafford's playing well and I think the Rams are playing well, but I don't think it's close if you ask any team in the AFC saying, what team do you not want to make the postseason? It is the the Bills. It is Josh Allen. If you look at the quarterbacks that are around him, it's Cincinnati and Denver and Houston and Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. Those are all the teams that are ahead of them. Josh Allen is light years above every quarterback in that group. And the only competition, in my opinion, he has out of that group is a rookie in C.J. Stroud. So it's not just Allen, though, because you've seen them play better of late. You've seen the switch at the offensive coordinator position. You've seen, when I talk to people in that building, a rhythm that Allen's playing with that they love. It's a joy, honestly, that Allen's playing with that they love. The the cohesion between him and Joe Brady and the input that he's been excited about uh, from Josh Allen. And that has made Allen extremely happy in, in, in what I've had been told. But also, it's their personnel. I mean, teams are battling injuries. They just get Dawson Knox back. They have the ability to put both these tight ends on the field at the same time, something that they like to do. Dalton Kincaid led them in catches that entire time Dawson Knox was out. The rookie first-round pick grew by leaps and bounds. You still have Stephon Diggs. You saw how good James Cook is in terms of the running, in terms of running the football and catching the football. And then what did we see down the stretch? Like, the stretch of that game, I mean, they didn't even blitz Mahomes, and they got home. Ed Oliver is playing out of his mind. Yeah, they got home with he four a lot. He is having a, a phenomenal year, yep. and they got home with four regularly, and they didn't have to blitz a guy in Patrick Mahomes. And I know we talked about some of the struggles the Chiefs have had, but they didn't even play well, and they beat the Chiefs. Yes. I think that is actually a really strong example of how this team is right now, and they are galvanized, man, because of everything that happened with Sean McDermott off the field. You talk to guys in that locker room, (laughs) it's actually brought them closer together, and I think this is a team that nobody wants to play in the postseason. The team that nobody wants to face in the postseason comes from the AFC side of the ledger, and it's the Buffalo Bills for James Palmer, and it's not even close. Now, I think we can agree, James, that they're really going to have to win out in order to make this dream come Mm -hmm. true. That means starting with a win at home at Highmark Stadium against the visiting and rather dominant currently Dallas Cowboys team. Then they face the Chargers at SoFi and the Patriots back home to finish the season. But obviously, job number one is the toughest job of those remaining three games against the Dallas Cowboys. I like their chances based on— They have another big one. They have another big one to finish the season. Oh, my God. You're absolutely right, JP. I'm not even seeing the last game of the season. Forgive me. That is on the road in South Beach to face the divisional rival Dolphins. That could be for supremacy in the AFC East. There's going to be potentially a lot on the line there. But I was guilty of not looking ahead. Let's make sure that the Bills are not guilty of looking ahead. They've got job one, beat the Cowboys. James Palmer, you're... Your instinct right now, you wouldn't be surprised if that game ends how? The finale? No, <sighs> the Cowboys game. Job number one. This, oh, this, this week against one? the Cowboys. Oh. I wouldn't be surprised Sorry, I, if this I, I Cowboys Bills. No, please. Uh, yeah. the potential game of the week. Game of the week for me anyway. Ends how? I'm not looking for a score. You guys don't predict games. But do you expect the best version of the Bills, the most fearful version of the Bills, to show up in this game? Because they kind of have to. Oh, I completely do. I, I completely do. And and I would think that if I was Buffalo and on that offensive coaching staff, I, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to lie and act like I'm some sort of soothsayer, Mike McDaniel, knower of all knowledge, offensive football. 
But I would use that aggression that Dallas plays with up front against them and, and move Josh Allen around and let them get downfield and let them get past Allen, in a sense, and, and let him go out and make plays. They are in a mo- mindset right now when I talk to people there is that, you know, there was limiting Josh Allen's carries in the beginning of the season. That is not the way they're thinking now. Josh, go out and put on the cape and do anything you can to help us win football games. What I also would like to see is Dallas win away from Arlington, win away from the star. I'd like to see them go and win on the road. What I'm curious to see is what have we seen with some of these marquee matchups, these dominant Dominant games that teams have had circled on their schedule. Philly had that game against Kansas City circled. Then the Niners had that game against the Eagles circled. I'm just saying the emotional buildup you have to some of these games, and Dallas had that with the Eagles coming to town. And actually, the one constant I have in all of this is Philly's part of a lot of massive games this year, is how do you play the next week? Right. Because that was a huge game for Dallas. And a lot of times it's up to the coaching staff during the week and the leaders in your locker room to get yourself back up after you have a win like that. It's actually sometimes maybe more difficult as opposed to the loss to get yourself back on track. I'm curious to see what Dallas does to see if they can remain hot because they are playing out of this world and Dak's playing like an MVP. Uh, If there is one game that you really can't miss this week, well, I'm sorry. Uh, it's got to be Cowboys and Bills. And James Palmer yeah. agrees that's a game that the Bills probably have to win. Um, and if they play their best, it might just be a game that they will win. This is NFL Total Access, the podcast. Thank you for listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. Andrew Levy with James Palmer. And our final topic is Saturday. 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 I, you could go the Saturday uh, uh, roller skating jam uh, from De La Soul. You could go Saturdays here. Were in the you park. about to who go to Chicago? That, who was that? Chicago. I started with Chicago. Yes, sir. That's where, yeah, my, that's, what I that's where my mind went first. Let's talk about three Saturday games in the NFL. Very exciting. Chargers in Las Vegas to play the Raiders. Vikings in Cincinnati to play the Bengals. And the Steelers in Indianapolis to play the Colts. Let's give you the schedule for that day. Uh, this trio of games starts with the Vikings in Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. That's 1 p.m. Eastern. Game number two, Steelers in Indy at Lucas Oil Field to take on the Colts. That game is 4.30 p.m. Eastern. The final game, the nightcap, the third of three on this wonderful NFL Saturday on NFL Network, by the way, and streaming on NFL Plus, Broncos-Lions. James Palmer, this one jumps off the page as a game with huge significance and could bring huge drama. Make the pitch for why that is a game we simply cannot miss. Oh, well, let's just start with the two head coaches. I mean, these are really good friends in Sean Payton and Dan Campbell. Remember, Sean Payton was the offensive coordinator with the Giants when Dan Campbell was drafted there. He played a part in getting him there. He got him to Dallas, and then he brought him to New Orleans, and then he made him an assistant coach in New Orleans. And I find it fascinating that Sean taking last year off and just being a member of the media, just like all of us schmoes, and watched <laughs> the Lions start one and six, yeah. turn it around and finish eight and two. Yep. And really talk to his good buddy about how that turnaround happened. What was he able to bottle up? What were they able to do? And then what happens when Sean returns to the NFL? He starts one and five. Now he has turned it all around, and it's almost identical to what has happened. And that first part is the defense is turning the football over at a remarkable rate. The Lions did it a year ago. The Broncos are leading the NFL in turnovers this season. Um, A big part of it, and if you wanted to get into the weeds of it, it's fascinating. It's how they're using their star corner, Patrick Sertan. And it's not even how he's getting turnovers because he's not. It's like most of these turnovers are becoming – turnovers because of him and he's not even touching the football it's because they put him in these different spots they're so creative with him they know where teams see him at teams want to go in another direction opposite side of the field they put more as justin simmons told me i don't know if it's the right word artillery over there uh and that's how they've been creating a lot of these turnovers by using sertan as almost the queen on a chessboard, as as Justin Simmons said it to me. And that's been the most fascinating aspect of this defensive turnaround as we all bring up 70 points against the Dolphins. Well, they're playing phenomenal football on that side of the ball. Russell Wilson's protecting it. I think there's a player in this game. Actually, this game might have, listen, this game has two of the most probably overlooked receivers in football in Amon Ross St. Brown and Cortland Sutton. And they're both really physical receivers. They're really strong the way they play the position. 
What Corlin Sutton's doing is like completely overlooked. He's really like their offense. Like what they do is kind of pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. They protect the ball. Russ doesn't make mistakes. If it's not there, even though we could break down the film, a lot of times it's there. He doesn't see it. He yeah. runs for like five, seven yards. Yeah. And then, you know, they play another down. Certainly seen more over the last six weeks than he did over the first. Yes, but yes, yes, yes. Very much so. And then they get down to the red zone and what happens? He throws some sort of jump ball to Cortland Sutton and he comes down with it, usually with one hand somebody draped all over him and usually there's a pass interference and he still catches it the only guy who has more touchdown catches this season in the nfl than Cortland sutton is who tyree kill that's wow. it he's wow. the only player with more touchdown catches than Cortland sutton this year so i do think that those two are going to be great to watch the way these teams are heading in opposite directions i think makes it even more fascinating because sean payton does not have his team looking at a wild card he has them looking at winning the west like, that's the mentality he has ingrained into his locker room. They're a game back of the Chiefs. We haven't said that in December with Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback in this league. And they are sitting a game back. They want to win the division. Uh, and the Lions need to figure out a few things. This game's fascinating on a lot of levels. And I think the two coaches in it also make it even more intriguing. Uh, the friendship between Dan Campbell and Sean Payton, the form that the Broncos have rounded into recently, the embattled lines looking to prove to themselves and everybody else that, no, they're not going the wrong way, still believe in us. We still got this a lot on the line here in terms of confidence, in terms of uh, trajectory, in terms of uh, playoff seedings. Uh, James Palmer is absolutely right. This is a fascinating, certainly promises to be a fascinating matchup. The third of three Saturday games on NFL Network, streaming on NFL Plus, Vikings Bengals at 1 p.m. Eastern, Steelers Colts at 4.30 Eastern, and the nightcap, the one that JP just pitched, Broncos and Lions, that's 8.15 Eastern Standard Time, and take JP's advice, keep an eye on number two out there, Patrick Sertan, uh, what a disruptive person he is on the backside of this Broncos defense. Look where he is on the field. See where he's being put by uh, this Broncos defense because according to James Palmer, it, there's a ripple effect here that is that has launched this Denver Broncos defense to the top of the turnovers forced charts. They are in fact number one. James Palmer, thank you so much for your time today. He talked Chiefs, he talked Eagles, he talked Bills and he just made a pitch for the Broncos and Lions. JP, you're welcome back anytime. James Palmer ladies and gentlemen thank you so much wow round of applause love it take it easy buddy thank you bud we interrupt this podcast to bring you the pride of the eagles the eagles yes the rawlett high school eagles in rawlett texas to bring you the pride of the longhorns is there any other of course, yes, the Texas Longhorns. And, of course, the pride of NFL Network. She is an NFL media reporter. No one is more tapped in to the Dallas Cowboys than today's special guest. Please put your hands together and welcome to the pod of podcast debutante Jane Ashley Slater. Hey, what's up, kid? Man, when I decide to go do WWE, you're going to be my walkout <laughs> hype guy. Some good stuff there. I wasn't sure where you were going with that Eagle stuff. I was like, wow. But, you know, I had forgot for a second it was that long ago that I went to Rollin High School. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's remember who you're talking to with the whole that long ago aside. I don't need that, okay? Uh, I'm the pride of the Saxons, the Langley High School Saxons in Langley, Virginia. Yes, Langley like the CIA. Okay, Jane, um, I'm so thankful for your time today. So glad to have you on the podcast and so sorry that you haven't been on the podcast earlier, especially uh, in an NFL season in which the unthinkable is happening right before our very eyes. The capital of hype and hope is actually being met with uh, a level of play commensurate with real championship hopes. The Dallas Cowboys are for real, Jane Slater. Um, we talk so much about this team on the outside. There's so much chatter about the Cowboys, and I fear that a lot of us get into the weeds. Uh, we allow our, in my case, Washington fandom to kind of color how we think about and how we talk about the Dallas Cowboys. So it's great that you're here today because, Jane, my first question to you is forget all the chatter outside the team walls. Tell me what the talk is like within this organization. Well, let me hold your hand because as somebody who has grown up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, as someone who has covered this team for well over 12 years now, uh, 
you have to temper expectations with them. My father, I feel like, is always the litmus test of the fan base. It's always what would Tom do after they lose to the Eagles or after they lose the Commanders because that's how I can get the pulse of the fan base. It's been frustrating uh, for a couple of years, but I likened it to the 2016 season the other day uh, and talking to someone else that the way that Dak is playing, Dak's confidence in his rookie year was, to me, the most remarkable thing. And it was ultimately why... I truly believe Jason Garrett decided that he was going to go with the hot hand. And when Tony Romo came back, Tony Romo didn't even get to compete with his first job. In fact, he set up an impromptu retirement presser where he anointed Dak uh, the scepter that he was going to be the franchise guy. And kind of the joke in the building was no one gave Romo that responsibility, nor was that something for him to give away. But Dak was sort of plagued, you know, with some of the injuries. Then, of course, he had the awful loss of his brother uh, a couple of years ago. And I swear, every single tree branch that the critics can hang from, they did. I mean, I'll never forget Skip Bayless saying that he had took issue with the fact that he brought that up, that 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 he wanted to talk about his, you know, his dead brother. And I, I just I thought it was gross, quite frankly. Um but the way that he's overcome so much, and even when I, 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 this is a long way of me saying, when we started off the season, this Texas Coast offense was fairly flat. Uh, you know, they went out and they got Brandon Cooks in the offseason. We didn't see them using him as a deep vertical threat. Michael Gallup, we didn't see him really shine last year coming off of the injury the year prior. You know, against the Eagles, we finally saw Michael Gallup and how, you know, how dynamic he can be. Um, and then, you know, it, it took a while for Tony Pollard. You know, they kept saying they didn't want to, you know, throw the ball. They wanted to run the ball, and we didn't really see them do that. So now we sort of see Dak Prescott take this team, and he's taken it a step up a notch. And we went from saying that Dak was trash, and I say we, the critics out there in the media, the Dak was trash, to now he's leading uh, the race for MVP. So it's been a remarkable season, but to answer your question – None of these guys in the locker room doubted it. They really didn't. I mean, they got punched in the face when they went to Arizona and what was that, week three, which was a gross loss, right? And then they had that really nasty one to the 49ers. After that 49ers game is really when they started to turn it around because I think internally they realized if they want to go where they want to go, the 49ers are the team that they've got to be. And keep in mind, they've been eliminated by the 49ers not once, but twice in the postseason. And Right now, I still don't know if they can beat the 49ers. I, I don't know that yet. I think what's going to give me a little bit more uh, confidence in this team is how do they play on the road against Buffalo that's fighting for their lives and just beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? How are they going to do against Miami Dolphins? How are they going to do against the Detroit Lions? Uh, that for me, and it's unfortunate you've got to, I feel like I need more of a sample size but I just I've I've seen sort of the highs and lows as it relates to this team. But I think that the Eagles win and how decisively they did it. The fact that Jalen Hurts and that offense didn't score one offensive touchdown. It was a defensive touchdown. It was two field goals. Uh, the fact that they couldn't keep Rico Dowdle, Ceedee Lamb, Michael Gallup, or Dak Prescott twice out of the end zone, I thought was a real statement win for the Cowboys. And I feel like now. And kind of it similarly matches up. Mike doesn't start really talking about the playoffs to his locker room until they get 10 wins. So now they're talking about it. But I feel like the confidence has really been there ever since they went on the road and almost beat the Eagles a couple of weeks ago. You know, you mentioned confidence right there at the end, as you did at the beginning. And at the beginning, you talked about the confidence that you saw that we all remember from Dak Prescott, the rookie. And listener, if you look at Dak Prescott's numbers as a rookie, I mean, it was an extraordinary, you know, uh, debut in the NFL 13 and 3 record 23 touchdowns only four interceptions you know through for 3667 yards an extraordinary rookie campaign this year he's playing even better now you could say well of course he's playing even better he's been in the year eight nine years he should be playing even better but if you look at his numbers 10 and 3 uh you know Winning wins and losses are a quarterback stat, whether we want it to be or not. History says that it is 28 touchdowns, only six interceptions. And I think, Jane, that six interceptions is really what jumps off the page. As gaudy as the 28 touchdown passes are, the six interceptions are so markedly different from an, a league-leading 15 interceptions only a year ago. We have stopped talking about the absence of Kellen Moore. 
and we have for weeks now. And I'm, I'm curious, from your perspective, which is so close to this team, what was it that allowed Dak to recapture the confidence that we saw from him as a rookie, uh, the belief in himself that he has always had, and you, and you intimated that early on, and you said that the teammates never doubted it, of course. But what was it, maybe schematically, what are you seeing in his play that allows him to be this frontrunner for the MVP? If I had to give a vote, I would vote for him today. Are you seeing any subtle differences? Is it a change of leadership? Is it a different voice in his ear? What is it that is allowing Dak to be the Dak that we see in 2023? You know, I think early on in the season, a, a couple of us off to the side were wondering if maybe they were handcuffing Dak a little too much, right? There, it seemed like they were avoiding long passes in the middle. Uh, it was a lot of short, short passes. Now we're seeing bombs. I mean, you saw that one to Michael Gallup against the Eagles. You're seeing him using his legs more they're more confidently throwing it to guys like Brandon Cook, CeeDee Lamb, I think. You know, last year we were talking about, you know, the year before heading into that season, they let Amari Cooper go, right? And so I think, and CeeDee Lamb kind of intimated this a little bit early in the season, he was that guy at OU, but I think it was a little bit of a crutch having Amari Cooper there because he was able to be, they were able to be 1A, 1B. Uh, but I felt like after we started talking about OBJ and the acquisition of them, remember it was that Packers game last season that CD started going off. And now when you look at it this year, there was a frustration. I think it was week six where he kept saying, if you give me the ball, good things are going to happen. Well, now they're confidently getting the ball to CD Lamb. And he's right. If you look yes. at the tape, he's double and triple team at times. And so I think... You know, and even Dak, which I appreciate, he said, I'm frustrated too because we put in so much work back in March and April, well before OTAs. But I think it was this communication from these guys that just took a little time to develop. But I also think it was Mike McCarthy finally saying, I trust you guys as men. And I don't think we've given Mike McCarthy maybe enough credit this year. You know, their record at, of 15 straight games that they've won at home, I keep, everyone keeps trying to figure out why. Because while the crowd has been incredible at AT&T Stadium, always a bit of a wine and cheese crowd was the joke for a long time, Mike lets his players sleep at home ahead of game days. And I don't know that many teams that do that. And I asked the players, I go, is it that big of a deal? And they said, absolutely, yes, it is. They also don't have to wear a dress suit when they travel. Jason Garrett used to make them do it. They get to wear... Uh, you know, they're kind of warm-up suits. And I noticed in New Orleans, because I cover them too, when Sean Payton let his players be themselves and trusted them as men, they started playing a different way. And I just wonder if some of that factors into what they've been able to do at home. Because like I said, I asked these guys, you know, how hard is it when you've got kids and a family? I know it's hard for me on game days when I get up at 4 a.m., you know, to get up when I've, you know, I've got a life and a boyfriend and things like that. They love it, though, because they say it, it tells them that Mike McCarthy trusts them as a man. I also have seen him sort of pump the brakes on practice a little bit. He's all about GPS and his analytics. And I've seen more veteran rest days for guys this year. And I think all of this has come together. And what is it, year four for Mike? Is this year four or year three? Uh, but I think it's they're all working together. But I just think it took them all a while. And so I, I don't think there's an easy answer to your question of what is happening now, but I think it's sort of this marriage of all of those things. Well, I think that what you're telling us, and I really so appreciate this insight because I think it challenges these preconceived notions that a lot of us had of what Mike McCarthy was, how he called plays, how he led. And I think that he was potentially unfairly blamed for a lot of the issues that were happening uh, in an Aaron Rodgers-led offense toward the end of his you know, tenure with the Green Bay Packers. What you're telling me is a very nuanced and sophisticated and subtle adjustment that a grown-ass man is making on behalf of his own career, but on behalf of his team, learning how to maybe lead better, that giving a little bit more 
latitude, allowing these young men to maybe be themselves a little bit more. Maybe that is the secret uh, sauce for this team that's getting the best out of these players. You know, we talked a little bit at the earlier, at the beginning of this season, Jane, you, you more than anybody uh, helped us, drew our attention to struggles in the red zone that this uh, Dallas team was having the first six, seven weeks of the season. That has changed markedly. D- Dak Prescott is unquestionably the best quarterback in the NFL over these last, last six or seven weeks. Check me on the numbers there. But something has clicked, something has happened, and I think everything that you're telling us about Mike McCarthy, maybe that is the bedrock for maybe that's the foundation for this wonderful construction of a team is that they get to be themselves, they get to express themselves, um, and in doing so, they get to maybe care and look after each other in a way that really does make this alchemy something that is potentially championship worthy. Let's talk about that. The goal well, for this. Well, real quick, I, yeah, well, please, real go quick ahead. I wanted to bring up because I love where you're going with this. I also think because raise my hand, I had questions about whether Mike McCarthy was the right guy. Yeah, You know, it had been a long time since he'd called plays. And, uh, you know, there was some questions internally about what he was capable of as it related to. And I kind of joked to them, when you start calling plays, Mike, is it going to be a little bit like riding a bike? And, you know, he can be a bit of a smart ass, which I like, because so am I. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm in the shower going over plays. And I just, I thought that was funny, right? But what I appreciate about him is, you know, we see some older coaches in the league that are just not interested in changing their ways. I feel that Mike, as he's gotten into the analytics and like I said, some of those approaches to his, how do you coach younger players? I mean, Dak has even talked about that, you know, last season that when you criticize a younger player now, you have to give them two compliments first. It's just this younger generation. And so there's a level of adaptation that I think that Mike McCarthy has had to make And I think he's done a really, really good job of that. And he also strikes me, and I can say this, I recognize this within myself, he's very much a type A personality. And I'm not very good at delegating things. And I think that maybe in order for Mike to be even more engaged in the game plan and planning of Sundays, he needed to be in that playbook. He needed to be the one in the kitchen cooking things up. And I could be off on this. I haven't privately discussed this with him. But that's the sense that I get. He feels very tapped in and engaged as it relates. I mean, the guy had acute appendicitis surgery on Wednesday and on Thursday was already calling Dak and going over the playbook. And I don't think that's just something that his vanity wanted us to talk about on this road to the Super Bowl. I just think he's such a control freak. I mean, on Sunday, he was still talking about the fact that he had anxiety going to the stadium on Sunday because he didn't get enough time on short and distance. Uh, so I think that's interesting. And then one other point I'd like to make, the confidence with which he calls some of these plays and some of the smart challenges that he's made. Remember that challenge? He threw the flag early in the game. Yes. That was huge because yes. it established, I think it, it established a moxie early on. And I also love the way that he goes for it on fourth and two, fourth and three, more so than I can remember with Jason Garrett. Now, some fact checker might chat me on that and say wrong, but Having covered this team, I feel like he's showing he's got confidence in his guys. We're actually shocked sometimes when he decides to punt it away. You know, the late, great Gunther Cunningham, who was defensive coordinator with the Raiders and the Chiefs and the Titans and the Lions. He was even head coach uh, of the Chiefs for a little while. Gunther Cunningham said about Mike McCarthy that he is a stone-cold assassin (laughs) of a play caller, which I think challenges, again, a lot of the preconceived notions we had about Mike McCarthy. The knock on him was that he was conservative, was that he wanted to be a run-first offense, and James Jones, our former colleague James Jones, uh, was always first to say, what are you talking about? Coach Mike, Coach Mike was is aggressive when he is comfortable and when he is at his best, he is aggressive. And Jane Slater, you're telling us exactly that that he is wants to be first of all a part of all the decisions. Uh, he wants his design and his mind to be an integral part of the decision making process. But when he does make decisions. He's a stone-cold killer, and to your point, the, the knock on him was game management, clock management, and exactly what you're talking about is a guy who is 
slightly different. Yes, you can. An old dog can learn new tricks. Mike McCarthy, the perfect example. And somehow this is working in a way that, yes, even a diehard Washington fan and former Cowboys hater, I hate no one now that I work at the NFL, and I can genuinely pass a lie detector on that. I root for all of these young men and all of these teams and all of these fan bases. I want everybody to be happy, which can't happen. But I tell you what, Jane, I genuinely would be thrilled for the Dallas Cowboys if they reach their mountaintop this season because this team I like and I feel like this team deserves it small d in quotes to to really deserve it you have to prove it we know that but Jane my follow-up question to you last two questions and again thank you so much for your time today if the Dallas Cowboys don't pull it off this year if they don't get over this hurdle known as the San Francisco 49ers, and they don't make it to Las Vegas for Super Bowl 58, it will have been very likely because of what? What is their Achilles heel? What is the shortcoming that you either sense or know is their biggest point of concern and maybe their biggest point of focus during the week as they prep for these all-important games? Games, by the way, listener, let's remind you, they play the Bills away, Dolphins away. They come back home to take on the Lions, and then they finish with an always tricky uh, divisional opponent in my Washington Commanders. The Eagles... Uh, situation gets kind of soft in the next four weeks. The same cannot be said of the Dallas Cowboys. So what is their biggest concern, Jane, as we head into this final month of the regular season and hopefully a long playoff run? It's going to sound like a cop-out, but I think it's injuries. If you had an injury to Dak or Micah Parsons, I think that's really the only thing that could stop you because the things that concern me about this team in the past, you know, Maher actually didn't concern me until we got to Tampa, right? And now you've got... Brandon Aubrey, who was a software engineer in Plano three years ago and is now confidently saying he can back it up to 70. Uh, When I look at defense, you know, there was concerns about, oh, you've lost, you know, Trayvon Diggs. How successful can he be this year? Well, Deron Bland and Stephon Gilmore have almost made you forget Trayvon. We haven't even talked about him this year. Jonathan Hankins' injury made me a little nervous. I don't think it's going to be that serious. He's your run guy that plugs you in the middle. And then the other issue was you don't have enough weapons on offense. Well, I mean, they've got Jake Ferguson. If Michael Gallup can get consistent and start getting going, I love seeing them utilize Brandon Cooks, CeeDee Lamb, Dak using their legs. And I feel more confident in Mike's ability to call a game and, and, and manage the game. And so... I think if they, the only thing that's going to stop them is injuries and shooting themselves in the foot again. I mean, they were a really good team, even against Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers at AT&T Stadium, remember? They didn't spike the ball in time. Uh, and then in San Francisco, they had the 49ers on the road in Santa Clara. Remember, Brock Purdy and that team didn't have a lot of answers. But once Tony Pollard went down, they, they came up with nothing. Yeah. Our last memory of, of Zeke was him lining up at center. Uh and so I, I would hate to happen. I would hate that the old adage, "What happens once happens three times," that we'd see another year of them getting eliminated. Because I truly do believe the window is closing in the sense that, yeah, I think Dak's got another three, four, five years in him, right? Like I think he's a really young thirty-one-year-old. But it's going to get more expensive to keep Micah Parsons on your roster, Ceedee Lamb, and all of these guys. And how long is Dan Quinn going to want to be the defensive coordinator? I love the way he, the, the marriage between he and Mike McCarthy, but Dan Quinn's kind of your secret sauce. Even on games where the defense isn't playing their best, man, they, they get back going and he lights a fire in that room. And I love the way those two work together. There doesn't seem to be an ego with Dan Quinn. So that for me, that's why I'm saying they could still probably go after it one more year after this year if it doesn't work out. But I don't know how much longer they would have passed that because I just don't know how long you keep the band together. Translation listener, this may be the year for the Dallas Cowboys Um, because yes, they face concerns and fears about injuries just like everybody else and it would hurt them just as much as it would hurt any other contender. But if you start to look at reasons why they might, could, 
should win it all. Let's start with the NFC and then going to the Super Bowl and taking on whoever the AFC would throw their way. It's because this team has depth at every position. They have addressed their worry spots. Their kicking game seems unimpeachable. I'm so glad you name-checked Brandon Aubrey because the kid is an absolute star. And I love, as a former collegiate soccer player, that a kid who played soccer at Notre Dame is doing what he's doing uh, for the star. Um, Micah Parsons is almost a forgotten member of this team with all the talk about this, this glorious Dallas offense over these last five, six, seven weeks. Mike McCarthy uh, really really coming into, into his own as a play caller, which is amazing to say of somebody who has a resume as long as his, and yet he is playing his best football, so to speak, now. Uh, I love this. I love this Dallas team. Uh, I love this Dallas story. I hope the ending of the story will be everything that Cowboys fans want it to be, and if it does go that way, then Jane Slater, I'm going to hold you to this, that we're going to have you back on this pod <laughs> in the days and weeks to come, because there is a lot more, there are a lot more, rather, Cowboys conversations to come and man I would sure love it if you would have them with us well you are one of my favorites at the NFL Network and you are absolutely incredible on this podcast so anytime you want me you know you got me you're amazing Jane Slater thank you so much for your time today we interrupt this podcast to bring you five things you may have missed in week 14 in the NFL yes we're looking ahead a little bit to week 15 but before we say hello to week 15 Let's say goodbye to week 14 in the proper way, and that is with The Bridge, who connects us from our very uncomfortable couches in our living room with the games and the stadiums and the stories that are happening in those stadiums that we're watching on our screens. The Bridge is Bridget. Bridget Condon, welcome back to the pod, BC. Thanks for having me. It feels great to be back in person. Last I week, I know we were on Zoom. Not the same. Not you can't the same. feel that, you know. That energy. And I hate it, too, because, well, first of all, I just need to learn how to shut up in general. I think everybody stands up and applauds that. But it's hard when there's a little bit of latency, right? Yes. And you're there at home, and I'm kind of, is she going to talk? Am I, should I be talking? The answer is I should never be talking. So let's get right to it. Five things we may have missed in week 14, starting with uh, nuptials that I wasn't aware of. Bridget, please break the news. Well, I just need to first start by saying we got a lot of good stuff this week. Oh, I The love later this. in the season, the better the stuff is getting. Taylor Swift, of course, was at the game. Repping her man, you saw know. That. She Gracie said in the um, Times article, did you read that? No. Ta she was Times People of the Year, uh, Person of the Year. Was she really? Yeah. In this whole long article, it was really well done. Words and she was asked about, you know, are you bothered by everyone annoyed that they keep showing you? And she was like, I'm just there supporting my man, do what he loves. I don't know how much they're showing me. It's not her choice, and that is really good thing to point out. Yeah, it Nobody absolutely should be is. sending the hate towards her. It's nothing she's doing. She's just there supporting her man like everybody else who's there who uh, is a wife And I'm sorry to be such a girlfriend. Pollyanna, but why would we be sending hate at all? Oh my gosh. Is there anything particularly so unlikable about anybody in this story? Oh, my God. Let's it? move on. But when let's you not point, move on. Let's dig in. When you point a finger at someone, three pointing back at you. They, That's oh, your little yo, tidbit snap. of the day. Um, so Tony Romo on the game referred to her as Travis Kelsey's wife. Of course, accidentally, but everybody that. was like, oh my goodness, is he breaking news? Like, and then we were kind of talking about it. I was talking oh, to uh, Scott Hansen earlier Just in the what week, they needed. and he was like, Tony Romo is usually good at picking out stars before they are you know, stars. And so maybe he's forecasting the future. Well, no, you're absolutely right because he made his name in this business um, at being able to predict plays before they came. Yeah. Right. So maybe he senses a proposal uh, down the road, maybe not so he, far down the road. Look, I'm here for all of it. Homework. I really am. And if you're not here for all of it, listeners, then you know what? Turn away. It's not that big a deal. Uh, this <laughs> take is a very, deep breath. This is, yeah, take a deep breath. This is very avoidable aggravation. If for whatever reason this does aggravate you, I would uh, argue and encourage you to think of it as a way of elevating all of us. Uh, NFL is more global now than ever before. We learned yesterday that uh, we're in Brazil. Um, and you know who was recently in Brazil doing a bunch of uh, sold out shows? Taylor Swift. Thing, oh, the first thing we, we go, may baby. have missed Great in transition. the NFL, Taylor Swift um, uh, being married off to Travis Kelsey by none other than Tony Romo. What's number two? Number two, Jake Browning. Love this this is the season. I love the story. I across the board. All these stories. All of these stories. This is the season of the backup quarterback, yes, it is. and Jake Browning is doing his thing in Cincinnati for the Bengals. 
It was Joe Burrow's birthday on Sunday, okay. but it was Jake Browning who got the gift. Burrow gifted Browning's family and friends his box to sit and watch the game. Okay, now I had heard somebody mention that that where they were, and they kept showing, of course, his proud family there in the box, that that was Joe Burrow's yeah. suite. I love that. How cool is that? Very Impacting cool. things even when he's injured and just speaks volumes to their relationship and the respect he has for them to be like, you know what, man? You deserve this. You're yeah. making less than a million dollars, but yeah. you deserve this. Broadway Joe, Joe Cool, well, not too cool to give a little love to the new JB on the field uh, as the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, Jake Browning. Well done, Joe Burrow. And, yeah, it's always nice to see these families celebrate their young men out there on the field, making them proud. And as you're saying, the year of the backup quarterback, we're seeing more of these stories this year than ever before. And, and they're wonderful. I'm here for all of them. Good luck to all of these families and all of these young men. Okay, that's the second thing we may have missed. One JB giving a little mitzvah to another JB. What's number three? Number three. How about the Cowboys kicker? This season really actually about should the be deemed kicker? the underdog. Uh, this was a win, a must win to get into the fantasy playoffs week for me. Ooh. And uh, Brandon Aubrey, as my kicker, got me over the hump with 20, no fewer than 20 fantasy points. The kid is on fire. I am here for it. Tell me about Brandon Aubrey. He was a software engineer before coming a kicker in the USFL. He's 28 for 28 as the kicker of the Cowboys. He's the first kicker in NFL history to kick two field goals of 59 or more more yards in the same game and our Jane Slater who covers the Cowboys talked about this a little bit deeper this week in that it was actually his wife that said hey you're pretty good at this you should try out and and make a a living out of this how many people do you think sit on the couch and they're like I can do that I can be a kicker in the NFL but I mean his wife is like no I actually think you can and look at him look at the success he's having yeah it's amazing and you know unbeknownst to you Jane Slater talked about that very subject on this podcast not moments ago because I no recorded way. her yesterday yes for today's show so glad that she could join us so glad that you're here to join us and remind us that the third thing we may have missed is this Brandon Aubrey story look at up listener dig in a little bit on this this kid has a casual uh, very natural um, motion when he kicks the ball. It's not as technical as like a, a Justin Tucker or a Harrison Butker, but every bit as effective. Hasn't missed a kick, and he's kicking them from neighboring counties. And a little shout-out to collegiate soccer players. I was one of them. He played soccer at Notre Dame. There wasn't a single guy on my Wisconsin soccer team who couldn't kick a field goal of 50 yards no or more. Not one. Not one. Wow. And and I think that that's not to say that we all could do it because we all can't. I didn't have the leg strength to do what these guys do. But I love the technique that you develop playing soccer and how it translates so well for some of these guys in the NFL Go on, Brandon Aubrey. Do your Let's thing. Let's do it. Do your thing. Such confidence for the Cowboys at that position. That's the third thing we may have missed. Bridge, what's number four? Number four has to do with the game of the week. I'm calling it the game of the week because I was there. Ravens, Rams went into it overtime. It was good. It was awesome. You gave us a little. You gave us a little peek before this game that this was a game to watch. And man, you were right, Bridge. You really it was were. Such a thrilling finish. But one of the coolest parts of this game, I was in Ravens locker room post game. And you know, when you're in a locker room trying to interview guys, you're not really supposed to be looking around because you might see some things you're not, you don't want to see. You know, they always tell you, keep your eyes on the clock. Absolutely. Don't look around. But there you sometimes go. you miss things yes. if you're not looking around. So I did have my eyes looking towards a jersey because it caught my attention. It was not a Ravens jersey. It was a Rams jersey. What is that Rams jersey doing in this <laughs> locker room? And Morgan Moses was putting it in his bag. And I was really curious for the name and I walked a little closer and saw that it said Nakua which is very interesting to me because Morgan Moses is a guy who went to UVA he you know has bounced around he was with the um, Washington for a bit with the Jets now with the Ravens so what is the connection to Puka Nakua yeah, who played at BYU in Washington and now is with the Rams so I had to ask him and I said is that Puka's jersey he's like yeah I got it I went up to him like I had one mission today other than Le protecting Lamar Jackson it was to get Puka Nakua's jersey I was like that's super interesting like what's the connection and he said he has three young boys and they are obsessed with Puka Nakua oh, wow. and they follow him and they could not go to the game because it was raining and some other things so he was like I needed to get this jersey and he's going to gift it to them for Christmas but it's just those moments are so fun. I was like, so you have three blood children <laughs> whose favorite player is a guy on another team. And he was like, to them, I'm just dad. They want money. They want food, whatever. Like, you know, 
it's so interesting to peel back the curtain and remember that these guys are just dad. And yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, like there are allegiances to whoever they want yeah, it to be. You're damn right it is. And in this case, Puka Nakua, you have three fans. Maybe you knew. Uh, we certainly didn't. Three fans. Morgan Moses's three children are getting that Puka Nakua jersey that they wanted so much. That's amazing, Bridge. Thank you for that story. That's really going inside, guys. That's called total access. We didn't say partial access. We, we said total access. So that's the fourth thing that we definitely missed in week 14 in the NFL. Bridge, finish strong. What's number five? All right. I, I hope everybody saw this because if you didn't, you're missing out. Oh, God. Now I'm worried because I really hope that I did. The Tommy DeVito story. Of course. Come on. Monday Night Football, Giants, Packers, Tommy DeVito, this quarterback who is another rookie. Yeah. Backup quarterback yeah. leads this team to an upset of Jordan Love and the Packers. He's three and one. Tommy DeVito lives with his mom. <laughs> And she cooks him chicken cutlets. They were celebrating it's with cutlets true. at MetLife Stadium Monday night. Uh, there's so many moments from this game. Uh, one, I think it was the New York Post uh, headline or a, or a headline like the New York Post writers would write that said in one of the New York papers, a cutlet above. Ooh. A shot a shot of Tommy mm-hmm. DeVito. I love, I love it. So a lot has been going viral yeah. about this game. One of the best moments was Tommy DeVito Sr., Tommy's dad. Yes. Turned Kept to, seeing shots of him. Yes. Turned to DeVito's agent okay. and like grabbed his face. Sean Stellato, who we had on the show on Tuesday. You did? Yes. Well, technically, on, TA, the broadcast oh had him on. Goodness. Mike Am did a great interview with him. I need and to go We aired a portion of it I here on the pod. Obviously, if they make him an offer that he can't. <laughs> refuse you know maybe we might have to explore that a little bit yeah what a great story but please continue okay so he turns and kisses him yes, on the cheek yes and then he turns and returns the favor kisses him on the cheek and it's just like when i was watching that i felt like this was made up i felt like i was in the theaters watching a movie just because of the way the agent was dressed too kind of yeah. like the frank yeah. sinatra yeah, we, vibes. we gave him a little stick about that and he owned it and he loved it and I he is it. a thoroughly thoroughly uh, cool dude i couldn't picture like there when you say Tommy DeVito that's exactly who I would have thought his agent would be right yeah, like no, that exactly. guy fits the character yeah looks exactly what I would think he would look like uh and then when they win Tommy <laughs> Brian Dable is like so excited and they turn and embrace and a huge hug and it's just these stories it's so fun to talk about teams that we don't talk about every day yeah, damn right. and to see success of players and franchises that have not had success you know, especially this season and have, have dealt with adversity. It's so fun. And I just, I love this. Bridge, I have to share this with you. So Mike asked, he said, look, as Tommy DeVito's agent, Sean Salata, um, it's got to be your job to make sure that he gets out of mom's house soon, right? That he can go <laughs> afford some flash, you know, you know, penthouse apartment somewhere. New York City's and, expensive, man. Well, it is. And and Stilato goes, what are you kidding me? He goes, this is Italian culture. This is, Until this is married. first of all, we're very superstitious. <laughs> and secondly, the living with your parent, not a big deal. He said, I'm the youngest of three. My mom still wants me to live with it. He's got kids himself. Um, so he said, no, 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 we're not going to mess with a winning streak. The kid stays at home, which I loved, which I loved. I oh love this whole God. story. Um, and yes, Tommy DeVito is one of so many stories as you said bridge in this year of the backup that has really caught our eye it's amazing stuff uh tommy devito the latest kind of poster child for this year of the plan b 2023 uh bridget condon once again has brought us five awesome things that we may have missed from the previous week this was week 14 we will have her back in the chair next week for five things we may have missed in week 15 in the nfl bridget condon you're the best thanks for having me I want to thank all of today's very special guests, James Palmer, Jane Slater, and of course, Bridget Condon with five things we may have missed from week 14 in the NFL. And I want to invite you, the listener, to join us tomorrow, Friday, for Friday answers to Saturday questions and Sunday questions and Monday questions too. Those questions are, who wins these games in week 15? Uh, what's the score? Are there any favorites? Uh, who should be worried? Well, the answer is yes. We're putting some favorites on upset alert in your official viewer's guide to week 15 in the NFL. That's tomorrow. Till then, ciao for now. NFL Total Access is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 